good looking crowd this morning. Look to your neighbor and say, you are good looking. All right. Now some of you, some of you feel like you're lying, but I'm telling you, it's not. You're, what you're doing is you're speaking those things that are not as though they were. Amen. That's what Jesus does. Hey, one last quick announcement. The reason my wife is standing here is she's stalking me is because uh, the uh, intercessory prayer team is going to be meeting tonight in the prayer room at 5 o'clock for their prayer meeting. And everyone is invited, anyone that would like to come and participate in that prayer meeting, you are certainly welcome. That's in our prayer room. You say, well, where is that? It's on the, in the other building on the back side, and it's uh, room number 9, and there's a plaque on there that says prayer room. And so that door will be open. That's at 5 o'clock. And they are having a rich, rich time. And you know what? We're actually, my wife told me last night that uh, I shared, I, I forgot to share this in the, in the first service, but uh, I shared it in Breakthrough uh, yesterday, last night. Um, Pastor Wilson had a dream uh, the other day. And he came to me and, and he shared the dream with me. And he said that in the dream, he was standing in the front of the church here. And um, he said there was a guy, and the guy was what we would call a church growth expert. He's like a, one of these uh, analysts that come into churches and they look at all your stuff and they see what, what needs to be done to, to bring growth to the church and whatnot. And so he was standing there talking with Pastor Alex and he says, okay, he goes, you need to beef up your nursery and you need to beef up your children's church and you need to do these certain things. He goes, because revival is coming, Amen. unprecedented. It's going to fill this place. Amen. And so... Uh, the reason I say that is because my wife told me last night when she heard that, she said, that's exactly what the prayer team, the intercessory prayer team has been praying for. They've been praying that God would be poured out in Kingman, that he would be poured out in this church, that, that not only would we have just this influx of people that come in and be a part of our church, but that leadership and ministry uh, would rise and that people would find their place in the body and that they would be involved in ministry and so we've been we've been attacking that uh reality in prayer and so as you see that 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 is that's going to become more and more a reality here and so we're so glad for our intercessory prayer team you do a great job thank you for your labor and your warfare in the prayer room amen so anybody can be a part let's give them a hand hallelujah praise god um, I am just excited about what God is doing. I'm, I feel like he's, uh, I feel, I just feel him moving in this place. And yep. so I am really, really encouraged. This morning, we're going to minister a message uh, to you. Part of this, this once again is one of those messages that are uh, what we call the nuts and bolts again. It's, it's one of those messages that, that, uh, um, we need to hear, we, we need to be a part of, and we need to put inside us. A couple of weeks ago, I ministered to you on, on temptation and told you how to overcome temptation because temptation is a reality that we all face. Well, since then, during that time, during the, the two weeks that uh, followed that, uh, just in prayer and in, in, in meditation and just before the Lord, I felt like I needed to take that a little bit further. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to move into a, a new message. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, a new series, I should say, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and then when you get that, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, looking at two verses of Scripture today. And I want to revisit a subject that, 
that I have personally preached on many times. This is a subject that probably most churches will preach on. They will talk about this. Um, but oftentimes it's a subject that is a little bit uh, uh, wonky, if I could use that word. It's something that oftentimes gets misplaced or misunderstood. And so we're going to talk this morning in this next few weeks about spiritual warfare. Because one of the things that you have to realize today is that we are right now, as you are seated in this room, we are in a spiritual war. There is a spiritual war being waged around us in this room. If you were able to see into the spirit realm, you would see angels versus demons. Amen. You would see good versus evil, light versus darkness, because we really are at war. It's a conflict, a conflict that is wreaking havoc in the lives of many people throughout the world. And you need to understand this morning that this war has consequences that reach far into eternity. Okay, do you, do you remember back in the day, back... That, that, that's, that's the sound people. We're waging war right now with the sound people. And I'm actually going to tell you why that's not true here in just one second. But they, they woke you up, didn't they? Those of you that are out on Facebook, you may not have heard that, but we're awake now. It's a conflict that's... Uh, <laughs> hang on. That, that's the kind, see, that's spiritual warfare right there. It throws me off. It's a warfare that's being waged throughout eternity, okay? And the reason that we need to understand this is because it does have consequences. And if we don't pay attention to it, we can become victims to it unwittingly. Now listen to me. I'm going to make it very, very clear to everyone in this room and everyone that's listening by Facebook. We win. I want to make it very clear. We have already won. It's not we're going to win. We won. Okay? What I, I want you to know is that this is something we need to understand. The Bible talks about it. You're going you're to see what I, what I mean when we get to our verses. Because we do need to pay attention. Because the devil would love nothing more than for you and I just to ignore this. He would love nothing more than you and I just to kind of hide our head in the sand, as it were, and just go, it doesn't matter. Now, it's interesting to me that when people get saved and you start hanging out with Christians, there's oftentimes some fairly weird things that are said. Things like this, we're under attack. Really? From where? Or somebody will say something like this. I'm fighting a battle. Or here's my favorite one. I was wrestling with the enemy. I remember when I was uh, a chaplain in the jail, um, oftentimes people would come in, inmates would come in, they would want to talk to a chaplain or a pastor, and so they would come in to see me, and, and they would begin to describe to me what was going on in their life at that moment. And what I would say to them is, well, you need to know you're just wrestling with the enemy. No, I'm not. You are. No, no, I'm not fighting with nobody. You get in trouble here if you fight with people. No, you're not fighting with people. It's, it's the enemy. You're fighting with the enemy. It's the enemy of your soul. It's the enemy that wants to take you down. And so sometimes that can sound a little weird. 
in Christianity because they're just strange statements because there's no bombs dropping out of the air. It's not like we're being bombed right now. It's not like somebody's firing bullets at us right now. There's no commanders yelling orders to their troops. So what does this mean? Does it, does it really mean we're under attack? Are, are we really being assaulted? Is, is there really an enemy? Is there really something called spiritual warfare? See, to watch some Christians, they, they actually go through life as if they are completely oblivious to any spiritual resistance, to any spiritual strategy that's set against them. They live by what only their physical senses can tell them, convinced that the difficulties that they are experiencing is just a string of bad luck, or they're just dealing with mean people, or they're dealing with a bad hair day. Let me tell you something. What you're dealing with, and I will show you in Scripture, is not bad luck, you're not dealing with mean people. Yes, there are mean people. Yeah. But you're, that, that is a symptom of the war. That is not the battle. It is not just a bad hair day. One man said this. He says, I've come to believe that the doctrine of spiritual warfare is one of the most confusing, one of the most misunderstood, and one of the most malpracticed doctrines in all of Christianity. And the reason why I believe that's true is because spiritual warfare has become taboo. Listen to what I'm saying. For many, it's just too strange. Come on with me. It's too scary. It's too unreal. All that talk about demons and devils and spiritual battles and satanic forces just seems too much like a cheap movie to me. I remember years ago talking with some friends, and they were talking about a famous movie. You might have heard of it. It's a movie called The Exorcist. Don't even say that in church. See, see that right there is why we've got to talk about spiritual warfare. You know, I, I never saw the movie uh, when it was popular, because when it was popular, it was in the 70s, and I was a little kid, and so I didn't see it. And the friends I was talking to, they were unsaved when they saw it. So when they saw it, they were probably impaired anyway. And so the impairment probably added to the spookiness of it. But it was later on in life, uh, as an adult and actually as a pastor, it came on TV, The Exorcist. So I'm, I'm kind of curious about stuff. And it was the, the edited version, so you know, it take all, took all that stuff out. So I thought, I'm going to watch The Exorcist. So I was in the house all by myself with the lights down low. <laughs> And so I watched it, and it was a comedy to me. It's like, are you serious? The head spinning around. Come on. Come on. That's just nuts. That's crazy. That's, that's just insane. That's, that's Hollywood. But see, that's what happens in church when we think of spiritual warfare. We, we go, oh, we don't want that ooga-booga stuff. Come on, get out of here. Well, listen, let me tell you something. Spiritual warfare is real. And we should never let Hollywood define what we know about true spiritual warfare. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because see, true. See what happens is Hollywood defines spiritual warfare as being this undefeatable, unwinnable battle, this epic battle between good and evil, where good has to just suffer and come through by the hair of their chinny chin chin. Well, let me tell you something. When Jesus beat the devil with a big ugly stick called the cross, he didn't come through by the hair of his chinny chin chin. He came out with a high hand. He sent the devil to hell and he won. Can you say amen? When the devils rose up and said, I'm going to exalt myself above God, God says, oh, no, you're not, and kicked him out of heaven. And the Bible says he was kicked out so hard, it looked like lightning. So let's get it right. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The problem is, though, we still face a battle. We are not immune to the consequences of spiritual warfare. And although the players in this invisible battle and realm are real, we oftentimes want to hide. We oftentimes want to simply ignore what's going on because we just don't understand it. Well, whether you understand it or not this morning, the reality is, as a Christian, we are all in the midst of a spiritual conflict. Listen, Christianity, by its very nature, is a conflict with the powers of darkness that rule this world. The Bible says this, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. In other words, there is a, it, we do not have a reluctant God in heaven. We have a persistent enemy that wants to continue to try to deceive and distort what God has done to prevent us from doing the will of God. Are you hearing me? And when we understand that, we will walk in the victory that has already been provided. And until you realize and recognize that your struggle, the struggle that you had, is not with man, but with spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, you'll never know the victory. It's only when you understand this spiritual warfare, and that we must rely on the weaponry, the victory that God has given us, that you'll begin to walk in that victory. Can you say amen? If we're going to enjoy that victory, we're going to have to engage in battle. We're going to have to engage. We're going to have to make a stand. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So let's look at our our text, Ephesians chapter 6. It says this, starting in verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Unless Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Are you hearing that? Okay, now I want you to pay attention. I want to I paint this picture for you. Here's our text. He says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. The power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. 
Now, here's the deal. I want to I give you a perfect living picture of what we're talking about. And I'm going to put it in terms that possibly we can understand. Because your enemy today is not your boss. Your enemy is not the guy that cuts you off in traffic. Your enemy is not the guy that's slowing you down at the line at Walmart. Your enemy is not the guy that's talking about you at church. Your enemy is not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your children. It's not your in-laws or your outlaws. Your enemy is not with flesh and blood. In fact, you are not even your enemy. We, we often say our greatest enemy is ourselves, but you're flesh and blood. You're not your greatest enemy. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm taking you somewhere. So let's look at marriage just for a moment. Can we do that? Can we see how this plays out in marriage? Because oftentimes what happens is people, husbands and wives, will begin to fight. Anybody up? Don't raise your hand. <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about. And they will fight and they will get locked in on a, on a subject or they'll get locked in on a, 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 an idea or a premise or whatever, and they, a belief system, and they will begin to work on that and they will come, at, come to odds. And they will begin to fight one another. And they'll have this conflict. Now let's paint the picture a little bit differently. You and your wife are at home. It's a Saturday evening. It's, a, it's a, one of those evenings that's a lazy evening. You got the big 55-inch screen TV going with Laverne and Shirley. You've got, your, you've got a big bowl of ice cream. And it's very peaceful. There's no kids to bother you. It's just you and mama. You're, you're there. And you're, you're enjoying the moment. You're eating your ice cream. And all of a sudden, the front door is kicked in. And there's a home invader. And he pushes his way in. And he, and he begins, to, begins to destroy. He begins to threaten. He, he's stealing. He's killing. He's destroying. You and your wife immediately jump up. And you begin to fight one another. Blaming each other for the intruder. You're blaming each other because he just broke your favorite dish. He just stole your grandma's clock. He is destroying things. And you're fighting each other. And he stops and he looks and he invites a few more friends. Hey, they're a little preoccupied right now. Come on in. It's a freebie. Now, as insane as that sounds... That is exactly what's happening spiritually. <laughs> wow. That, see, you, 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 that, quiet, that quietness right there, that's like, oh, my God, that's right. Holy cow. What you just had a realization is if the Bible says, how many believe the Bible? Raise your hand. Those of you that didn't, you will later. The Bible says our battle is not with flesh and blood. What does that mean? It means your warfare is not with your husband or your wife. Right. It means it's with the principal. It's with the home invader. Yes. Good word. So why do we fight each other? Instead of coming, see if the if the home invader really did happen, I'm telling you, we'd get up and we would fight together. Right. We would fight. We would become a team in stopping the invader. Right. Are you seeing that? That's how that verse plays out when we misunderstand it. 
You and I must understand that we are not simply wrestling with mere problems and circumstances. Our warfare is not with bad habits or wrong mindsets. The battles we face are not with people. They're not with economic situations, chemical substance, or health issues, health issues, or any other tangible thing. Listen to our text. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Listen to it out of the Phillips translation. He says, For our fight is not against any physical enemy. It's against organizations and powers that are spiritual. We are up against the unseen powers that control this dark world and spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. Listen to it from the message translation. This is no afternoon contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and his angels. This war that rages every day in our spiritual lives is with an antagonist who holds his authority in a place called the gates of hell. In Kenneth Wiest's word study commentary, he says this, the expression gates of hell is a phrase that literally means the courts, the throne, the power, the seat of the satanic kingdom. The idea of this expression is of satanic counsels and deliberations. Now, the idea this morning, or this morning that hell would hold a council and a deliberation against us ought to wake us up. Right. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The enemy, this enemy who holds his place in the gates of the hell is in the gates of hell is the devil. Mark it down today. He is a master strategist and a determined warrior. And he commands a vast army with all kinds of ungodliness. Now listen to me. These forces are not neutral. Okay? They hold people in bondage by multiple forms of addiction. They wreak havoc in homes and marriages and families and relationships of every kind. They sow discord in churches through gossip, misinformation, and jealousy. They come to steal, kill, and destroy. They operate in the shadows of life, bringing sickness, disease, and pain. They work work against our hearts and our minds, bringing sorrow, depression, fear, and unbelief. They work to destroy our lives through confusion, doubt, anxiety, insecurity. They torment the children of God. They lay traps of temptation. They thrive in an atmosphere, listen to it, of deception. Their goal is to derail, to prevent, to withhold, to distort, to steal, kill, and destroy. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says, Jesus is speaking. He says, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. So if the enemy has shown up, he has an agenda. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. But here's the good news. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Are you hearing me? Now, the devil has an agenda, and we've got to understand that. 
It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Now, this word hindered, in the Greek, it literally means to cut into, to impede one's course by cutting off his way, to blow up the road in front of you. So Paul says, look at I wanted to come to you, even me. He says, I wasn't just going to send you a messenger. I wasn't just going to dispatch an assistant. I was going to come. I wanted to. But the devil blew up the road in front of me. That's what he's saying. You and I need to understand those things that work against us are not random events in life. We are facing an enemy with a honed strategic ability. Here's the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 through 25, he says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, what's interesting in that, you need to understand what a tear is. A tear is a weed that looks just like wheat. So here's this enemy, the enemy of this man. What does he do? He sows into this man's field, which would represent his life, into the very product, the very essence of this man's life, what he is trying to accomplish. The enemy sows into that something that looked good, that looked right, that was there by design to rip off what the man was trying to do. See, because a tear will take all the nutrients in the water from the wheat. In fact, when Jesus was asked, how do you deal with tares? He says, wait till the harvest. He says, because if you try to pull them up in the middle of it, you'll pull up the wheat and the tare at the same time because you won't be able to figure it out. Because they wrap their roots around the wheat roots. What does that mean? That means there's a strategy. That means there is a strategy of deception. So what the devil wants to do is he wants to come into your life and deceive you by showing you something that looks so good. I was asked one time, he says, how can something, somebody asked me, how can something that feels so right be so wrong? Because that's exactly what hell is. See, that is the power of the enemy, church is to deceive you. That's his only power. Everything else has been stripped. All power, all authority has been taken from him. But he has this ability, this inherent ability in in the essence of who he is because of his rebellion to deceive. And if we don't understand this, if we, if we fail to understand our identity and who we are, and if we get too weirded out about talking about this kind of stuff, then what happens is we ignore it, and there's nothing greater that the devil would hope for than to be ignored. Now, does that mean I think we need to run around? Because I've been with people. I, when I was a young man in Michigan, I was with a group of people that found demons and doorknobs. 
Trust me. I remember one time sitting in a room with a group of people and I yawned. And they said, oh my God, demons are coming out of you. And I said, no. I've just been up 24 hours. I'm tired. This is, how, this is why people shy away from this. I was told at that time in my life that the reason I was gaining weight was because the, de- <laughs> the devil was getting inside me and he was puffing me up. Somebody needs to cast the devil out of me. You know what I mean? Come on. Crazy. Crazy. See, I remember Pastor Howard told me one time when I was a young man, I said, hey, so you don't like spirit? He goes, no, I, I don't mind spiritual warfare. He goes, but look, at, I'm not looking for the devil. He says, I'm looking for Jesus. He says, when I find Jesus, I find a blessing. When I find the devil, I find a fight. He says, now, if you're asking me, can I deal with the devil? Absolutely. Will I ignore him? No. I won't ignore him. So this is not to glorify some sort of demonic, ooh, he's all that, because he ain't. What this is, is to show you and I that we can overcome it. But we're going to have to recognize it because too many people are falling victim to it. We think that, you know, our boss got mad at me. You know, I had, I've had several things already happen today. This morning, coming to church. I'm telling you, well, I, by the time I got to church, I thought I needed to be saved. So did my wife. She says, you need to go down to the altar and you need to give your life and your heart to Jesus Christ right now. (laughs) I know it's hard to believe that, but I'm telling you. He was fighting. He was was needling. He was coming in. He knew what I was going to preach. And he's like, I'm going to get you. And if we don't pay attention to that, if we don't stop and say, wait, that is the nonsense of the devil. And I am more than a conqueror in it. Then we fall victim to it. Because we'll begin to believe the lie. And when we believe the lie, what do we do? We empower the liar. He literally plugs his extension cord into our power source. And siphon, that's exactly what a tear does. Steals the life. Why? Through deception. And then the very power that he's ripping off from me, he turns on me. That's the point of that. It's a strategy. And at some point in our everyday lives, we will come face to face with the strategy of hell. Many are content to write it off. It's merely circumstantials. Others ignore it or just refuse to recognize it. But I'm telling you, it's a strategy. Now, that doesn't mean this morning, and I need to clarify this. There are some things that are just circumstantial. You know what? Tires go flat. Bread will get moldy if you keep it too long. Okay? You know what? The problem is, is not everything. So that's why we've got to have... See, that's the gift of discernment. Is that ability to know what's good and evil. And that's why he tells us, you need to practice... By, by, by way of use and practice. Learning what is the devil and what's not. Right. Going, that's a flat tire. Sometimes the devil gets blamed for stuff and he's standing there going, I didn't have nothing to do with it. Sometimes we blame 
our husband or wife or our sons, our daughters, our boss or who, our church, our pastor. And the devil's going, yep, that's exactly what I wanted. Yes. We got to learn how to discern that. We got to let we got to let God do that in our lives. Can you say Amen? We got to let Him teach that. Because if we don't, if we don't, we will fall victim. Those who overcome these battles are those who, in the power of His might, notice that in our in our text, not your might, in the power of His might. Engage the enemy. Remember our text. Listen to what he says. I want to point out something. He says, in Ephesians 6, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, that's important. Now, look at, in in 2 Corinthians 2, we are not ignorant of his devices. Two words that you need to pay attention to. Wiles and devices. The word wiles literally means methods. Strategies, crafts, and plans. So what is he saying? He says that you may be able to stand against the methods, the strategies, the crafts, and the plans of the devil. He says we're not ignorant of his devices. It means the mind, the purpose, and maneuvering of the devil. What is he telling us? Don't be ignorant. It's clear from Scripture that we're not only to stand against it, but we are also to understand it. Jesus has done us a great favor by bringing some reconnaissance to the table. He has showed us where the enemy... See, the Bible tells us that he exposed the enemy. I heard years ago, years and years ago, an enemy exposed, a demon exposed, a devil exposed, is a devil defeated. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, we must realize today that we are dealing with a highly organized and structured enemy that carries out a well-thought-out strategy with precision timing and accuracy. But don't let that get you down, because I have some good news this morning. The good news is this. It is a winnable war. There is certainty of victory. We have already won. Amen. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible says this, we are more than conquerors in Christ. How can you be more than a conqueror? How can you be, right right now the Winter Olympics are going on, and we've been watching them, watching all the skating and the skiing and the bobsled and all the stuff. It's really a lot of fun. We, We love watching the Winter Olympics. So how do you become more than a gold medal winner? And here's how. When you win the gold, but you never had to show up for the race. Oh, that's deep stuff. Jesus fought the battle and gave us the victory. That's how you become more than a conqueror. Are you hearing? Are you hearing me? Somewhere we've got to put that into our lives and into our thinking. See, there's not too many things in this life that you can be certain of. But I can tell you this, this one thing. Victory is ours. Victory is ours. It's the hallmark of Christianity. It's the glory of every believer. It's the certainty of our lives. And it does not matter what the odds are or what the strategy is. Victory is yours. 
You know, God delights. God loves it when the odds are against his people. I mean, think about it. The Old Testament stories. Remember Gideon? you got to love this guy. Gideon shows up for battle. He's going to fight an army of about 150,000. And he shows up with 32,000 men. And he's thinking, well, okay, it's a little outnumbered, but we might. We're, we're pretty bad to the bone. And so we might, we just, you know, three to one, we're all right. We can handle it. So each guy's got to take out three guys. We can do that. It's not too bad. God says, oh, wait, this is not even a fair fight. And, and, and Gideon went, yeah, you're probably right. It's really not a fair fight, you know. He goes, maybe if you could add some more people. No, God says, you've got to take away some people. It's not fair for them. <laughs> what? He goes, yeah, I need you to send home 31,700. Because you're going to do this with 300. And then you're not going to really employ any kind of real weaponry. You're not going to have swords and spears and bow and arrows and stuff. What I'm going to give you is a lamp, a pitcher, and a horn. And, and, and then you're going to win. And... Can you imagine Gideon? But see, that's just, that's God. God shows, see, let me tell you something. Don't be dismayed when the odds are against you. That's where God wants you. You know why? Because then it ain't about you. It is about him. And he will win the victory. That's why he tells us, you know what? Uh, You send out the praisers first. Your front line is going to be your worship team. Really? They don't look like fighters to me. I mean, maybe they can knock them around with it, take their guitar. And, no, don't do that. Play. Worship me. Worship me. Today the battle's mine, says the Lord. So I'm going to win this battle. I'm going to fight your enemy for you. You just worship me. How about David when he defeated Goliath? Shows up with a slingshot. David, a ruddy little boy. Goliath, a man of war from boyhood. I don't know how big he was, but he was a big dude. David shows up and says, how dare you? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? And everybody is shaking, and he looks at Saul, and Saul says, well, if you want to take my armor, I'll let you. He goes, I don't need that. I haven't proven that. He goes, I know that God delivered the bear and the lion. With this, and he's going to give him to me too today. Can you get that? You've got to like that. And David just walks out there, and Goliath laughs. He goes, what? They send me a dog? He goes, that might be, but this dog's got your head today. I don't care about the odds. I don't care about the strategy. I have a God in heaven that already said, you win. You won. That's what we got to understand. Moses overcame Pharaoh with a shepherd's staff. God basically said, what's in your hand? He goes, a staff? He goes, good, that's good enough. It's in your hand, David, a sling? That's good enough. What's in your hand, Gideon? A lamp? That's good enough. I don't need a lot. I just need you to step up. I just need you to go stand on the batter's plate, home base, with bat in hand. I don't even care if you swing. You're going to get a home run. I just need somebody there. Do you understand that? 
See, for, for these men, victory was not the result of weaponry or arm, armament. But victory, listen, this is important. Victory was the response from heaven in the heart of a man or a woman that would stand for God. Are you hearing me? Consider this with me just for a moment. Ephesians 6.13. He says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That word withstand literally means vigorously oppose, bravely resist, stand face to face against, and hold your ground. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Verse 14 starts this way. Stand. So how do we do that? Well, that's going to be next week's sermon, but I'm going to give you a little preview. Because we're going to talk about the armor of God. But I want to talk about something that the Lord dropped in my heart last night at Breakthrough. See, when you stand and you praise God, there's something incredible that takes place. See, it's in the midst of praising him in the situation that will change it. Amen. It's when you and it's 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 when you lift your voice and you lift your hands. Here, here's the problem, church. We know he's worthy of praise. We know he's worthy of it. But when we come into church and 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 you say, "Are you picking on us?" Maybe a little bit. I'll be honest. Let's just be honest. And part of it's because you need it. Is that too real? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is. I'm going to. Let me show you something. Jason, ask me what I'm doing. What are you doing? I'm praising. Oh, wow. What you, ask me again. What are you doing? I'm praising God. What are you doing? I'm praising God. What are you doing? Praising God. Yeah. I'm praising God. No, no. You're watching people praise God. The Bible says this, praise is the fruit of your lips. The Bible says lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So let me see. Lift up your hands. Everybody, lift them up. Everybody. You can, lift, you can actually do that, right? No, no, keep them up. If this was jazzercise, it'd be no problem. Amen. If this was, we are the world, raising money, yeah, it wouldn't be a problem. Let's, let's worship Jesus. Raise your hands. Worship Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we glorify you. We mag- do it. We magnify you, Jesus. Words, words, your mouth. We magnify you, Jesus. Whoa. Okay, stop, stop. I don't want to do that. that people are going to think I'm crazy. Probably so. What are you going to look like when you're defeated? Oh, He says, stand. Well, how do you stand? With your hands lifted and your mouth open, filled with the praises of God, fully outfitted in the armor of God. God, I worship you. I magnify you. Your name is El Shaddai. You are more than enough. 
You are the all-sufficient one. There's none like you in all the earth. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Your name is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God, you are worthy. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are the Lord, my provider. You are the wellspring of my life. You meet my every need. You meet my my need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus because you are Jehovah Jireh. You are Jehovah Rapha. You are the Lord, my healer. You are the great physician. You remove every sickness, every disease because God, I love you. You are Jehovah Shammah. You never leave me or forsake me, God. You are always with me. Wherever I go, if I go to the tallest mountain or the lowest valley, there you are, God. You never leave me. You are Jehovah Shalom. You are the Lord God, my peace, God. Your peace passes all understanding. God, your peace passes all understanding. It does not come from without. It comes from within. God, though the world may be in chaos, I shall be strong and I shall be stable and I will stand because I worship you, my God. You are Jehovah Sidkenu. You are my righteousness. You are Jehovah Memkadesh because you are my sanctification. You are Jehovah Nisi. You are my victory. You are the flag that weighs high above my house that tells us that the king is at home, God, and I worship you and I magnify you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. That's how you overcome. That's how you do battle. And when you do that, you shake the kingdom of hell and you cause the lights to go out on the devil because we are victorious and we shall overcome because he overcame in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, why are you going down this road? Because I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of being sick. I'm tired of not having enough. My God said, I'm a God of more than enough. I'm a God of of strength and power. And I'm going to walk in Him. Can you say amen? Now, is that a little weird? You ought to try it on stage with 300 people looking at you. You say, why did you do that? Because somebody has got to step up. For heaven's sakes, uh, our name is Praise Chapel. We need to praise him. We need to glorify him. If Ed McMahon showed up your house with a check for a million dollars, you just won the clear. That'd be surprising because Ed's not here with us no more. But if he did, you'd be excited. Yes, I won. Can you believe it? I won. So you can get animated. When your team won the Super Bowl, you were animated. Amen. When your favorite rock group, you, you, you had your lighter going, didn't you? Now, now you can get a, a lighter app on your phone. You don't have any problem. You come to church. What are you doing? Praise him. Praise him. We got, we got to break out. You say, well, I, 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 church, ought to be, church ought to be calm, cool, and collected. Look, at, I, I agree that we ought not to be frivolous or disrespectful. I agree. We, we're, we're walking on holy ground. Okay, I understand that. But let me tell you something. God's not nervous. Amen. God loves his children. 
and he loves it when we praise him. Let, let me tell you one last story and then we'll go. I've, I think I've told this story before, but I'll do it again. There was a pastor um, that uh, uh, we, we follow, and he was telling this story. His name's Bill Johnson. We, we follow him. And he was telling this story about um, this woman that was in church. And she was worshiping God just, I mean, like exuberantly, like probably beyond the line. And Bill's telling the story, and he says, man, it was making me feel really, really uncomfortable. He says, I, I was just, he goes, and I can handle a lot. He says, one time in my church, a guy showed up in a wedding dress with combat boots on, and I asked him, what are you doing? He goes, it's the bride of Christ going to war. <laughs> he goes, okay, all right, I'm good with that. He said, one time in church, he goes, I'm standing there, and he says, some guy started doing cartwheels in the altar just all the way across. He goes, wow, that's impressive. And then he came by again. He goes, oh, man, he's pretty good. It's not just a one-time thing. And he went by again. And finally, Bill looked over at him and went, that's enough. He goes, so so I can handle some stuff. And he says, you know, this woman, she was a little much for me. So he goes, that gives you an idea where she's at. And he says, there's another woman pastor that's sitting next to him. Her name's Heidi Baker. Right on. Heidi Baker's sitting there, and she just, she's known for her expression of love, and she leans over to Bill, and she says, she points to this woman that seems to be out of control, and she goes, isn't that beautiful? She's in love with Jesus. And Bill goes, I felt about that tall. He goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, I'm, you know, eating all my thoughts now about how I needed to get the ushers to control her. And he says, I'm standing there. And Heidi leans over and says, you know what, Bill? He goes, you know why she's so excited? Why she's so passionate? He goes, no. He goes, a week ago, she was, they rescued her from being a, a, in sex slavery. She was held. She was, she was uh, uh, kidnapped, spent several years as a slave. And somehow people found out about it and, and through prayer, really. They were led to her, and they were able to rescue her, and Jesus set her free. See, when you're truly set free, it won't matter what people think. You could care less. You could care less. See, it's that it's that kind of place that we go to. Because I, you know, I can tell you, I can give you all the clinical stuff, and I can sit back and tell you all those scriptures and the theology and all the words. But it's somewhere when you go, you know what? I'm free. I'm going to heaven and I deserve hell. You know. You know. You're, you know. I, you, you put on a good front, but we all know. Let's, let's all just get honest here. You deserve hell and so do I. But he came and found, he found me where nobody was looking. He, he, he went places that nobody go goes because he he went into places that probably would have ruined his reputation to find me because he didn't care about his reputation he cared about me in fact it says he made himself of no reputation why because because if you're concerned about your reputation you won't do the will of god if you're concerned about what other people think about you 
the best you will be is an observer. And then ultimately you'll become a victim. This is serious stuff, church. And so I just want to encourage you that when we come into worship, let's worship. Let's stand. Let's stand. Right in the face of it. And go, I love my God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you, God, for your goodness. And God, we just glorify you and magnify you. We ask today that, that this would be written upon the table of our heart, God, that, that, Father, that you would remind us, Lord, that even as we leave today, that there's going to be opportunity where the devil wants to twist things. Father, that you would give us that discernment before we act or before we react, that we would consult with you first that we would come to you. And when you reveal to us is this circumstance or is this strategy, Lord, that we would know how to act. And then, Lord, that we would stand in worship and praise, that we would lift your name because there is no other name like your name. And, Father, I just pray for every family, every home. I pray for everyone here that needs a financial need, that has a a physical need, a spiritual need, unsaved loved ones. Father, I pray, God, right now, move in that. Touch lives today, God. And Father, I thank you, God, for your goodness. I wonder, as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you're here and you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I'm not right with God. If you'd lift your hand and say, that's me, Pastor, I need Jesus. Would you lift it up real high? Just lift it up and put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Others, would you lift it up? Put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Would you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and to forgive me of my sin. Would you be my Lord and Savior? Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can look up at me. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, when our prayer team comes up, would you come up and let them know? Or find one of us on staff and let us know. Just let us know that you gave your life to Jesus. We'd like to know that and we'd like to help you with that. Why don't we stand to our feet all across this place, our prayer team.